Uh, fasten your seatbelts. I have a lot to say in a very short time. <laughs> and so we're going to go as quickly as we can. I'm going to share with you this morning a message the Lord laid on my heart. It's actually uh, a preview of the book because it's the last chapter in my book, uh, the sixth chapter on teaching, and it's entitled Understanding the Times. And it comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And uh, in that chapter, if you're reading through it, you're, you're tempted to, uh, to kind of, uh, you know, pass over the chapter because it just has a lot of chronological information about the different tribes of Israel and so on. But tucked in there is this verse that says, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I believe above all others in this world, we Christians need to be discerners of our time. We live in an unparalleled time of crisis here in the U.S. and the world right now, and there are ominous, dark, threatening clouds on the horizon. I like the way one man of God put it. He said, the tide of God's judgment is beating against the dam of God's mercy. The tide of God's judgment is beating against the dam of God's mercy. So how do we respond as the body of Christ? Well, let me give you some responses that I don't think are correct first. Some people in the body of Christ respond with what I call the survival mentality. You know, prepare for the worst, set a, store up food under your bed, buy generators, empty your bank account, sell out and move into the wilderness and become self-sufficient, and that's the way to respond. I believe this is nothing more than selfish, isolationist, and withdrawal mentality. These people use Joseph as their patron saint because you remember Joseph stored up uh, for, the, for the lean years. But his reason for doing that was not selfish. It was to feed the world around him. So it was very different. And it reminds me of a story uh, that happened just before World War II, between the two world wars, a story of a group of very intelligent people who were intelligent enough to know that a second world war was about to happen. And they did their research. They wanted to find a place in the world that was, would be war-free, where they could move. And after years of research, they made a decision, and they moved to Okinawa. And for those of you that uh, are not World War II buffs like I am, that was the site of the fiercest battle of the Pacific theater in World War II. So what that tells me is don't put your faith and trust in defensive preparations. You might end up right smack dab in the middle of it all. Then there's what I call the pessimist mentality. This is the, the gloom and doom people. What's the use? It's all over. We need to cut back. We need to downsize. We need to maintain. 
This reminds me of the story of the immigrant that came to this country that uh, didn't have a lot of education, had no uh, titles behind his name, and so uh, he wanted to try to feed his family, and he found out that Americans liked hot dogs. So he set up a little hot dog stand in front of his house. And business was going fantastic. And so he, he built a better hot dog stand in front of his house. And he had enough money now to put his son through college. And his son went and studied business administration. And uh, he was about to expand again when his son came home from college. And he said to his dad, no, no, dad, this is not the time to expand. And he gave him all the reasons that all the professors in his business school had told him. And so his father didn't expand. He cut back. He maintained. And you know what? Business did go down. Catch my drift? Then there's the gazing mentality. You know that when uh, Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and did ascend into heaven and the angels met him there in the clouds, uh, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, that the disciples were all like with their mouths open, just gazing at the Lord going up into the clouds. And uh, Jesus had to instruct his angels to go down and tell them to get on with it. Instead of just keeping their mouths open, looking up into heaven. This group's favorite verse is, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Get us out of this mess. Trying to figure out who the real Antichrist is. and What the real mark of the beast is. But you know, like the Apostle Paul, I am conflicted. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1, 22 and 23. He said, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And that's how I feel. Because too many have not heard the good news of the gospel. Too many are yet lost in their sins and need a savior. And our job is far from finished. My heart cries out, souls, Lord. What's most important? Jesus coming to rescue us out of this terrible world or God's broken heart for the lost of this world? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish. Do you identify with God's heart? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If we are walking in a love relationship with Jesus, then the things that are most dear to his heart will be those that are most dear to our heart. The things that break God's heart should break ours. And the greatest prayer that we could pray is God break my heart with the things that break the heart of God.
That has been my prayer most of my life. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and I underscore that, only then, the end will come. Now, the word nations there in that verse is the word ethnos in the Greek, which literally means people group. It's not just nations as in political nations. It's people groups. And missiologists have divided the world into people groups. An unreached people group has less than 2% Christian followers, less than 5% professing Christians. And there are in the world today some 17,400 people groups. 7,400 people groups of the 17,400 are considered unreached. Current world population, 7,800,000,000, thereabouts. The unreached people grew, uh, uh, of the world amount to 3,230,000,000. That means more than 40% of the world's population is yet unreached with the gospel. That might be news to some of us. It's estimated that only 10% of the world's population is, are, are actually true followers of the Lord Jesus. I believe it's selfish for us to want Jesus to return with so many in the world unreached. You may not agree with me, but that's how I feel and that's how I felt most all of my life. I like what Oswald J. Smith, the great preacher, uh, of past time said once, he said, we talk of the second coming, but half the world has not heard of the, one, the first. It is wonderful that we sing songs about the second coming, but let me tell you something. The best thing we can do to bring Jesus back is to win souls. That's right. That's right. I don't sing one of my favorite songs in my repertoire is not I'll Fly Away. It's Jesus Saves. Jesus Saves. That's the cry of my heart. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor, said, Someone asked, Will the heathen who have never heard the gospel be saved? Have you thought about that? It's more a question with me Spurgeon said, whether we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not can be saved. That's quite a thing to say. Then there is the group that uh, have what I call the no response mentality. I call these the days of Noah people, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so it is. And this is like people who are just business as usual. I'm talking about Christians here, not non-Christians. Business as usual, like nothing 
nothing is different. And so if all of these positions are incorrect, what should be our posture in view of what is happening in the world today? What does it mean for us as the church to be the men of Issachar, to understand the times and know what the church of Jesus Christ ought to do today in the world? Well, I want to submit to you some points that I think are important for us to ask when we ask, what time is it? It is the time of opportunity. In Chinese, the word, and this is also true in Korean, the word crisis is actually two characters. One stands for danger and the other for opportunity. Unfortunately, many of us, when we think of a crisis, we only think about the danger part. And that's all we see is danger. But we need to uh, understand that with every crisis, there is opportunity. When I lived in New York and I took the train into Manhattan, I'd come up out of the subway, and uh, if it was a rainy day and the rain was coming down, I'd see people selling umbrellas. They didn't complain about the rain. They saw it as an opportunity. And I love the verses in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3, that says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness, I can relate to that, thick darkness, is over the peoples. But, I won't be like the pastor that once said, I love the big butts in the Bible. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. My friends, this, some people like to refer to this time as the end times. The last days. You know what I mean? Rather, you know what I believe? I believe this is the church's finest hour. You know, in any production, they always save the best to last, and they call it the grand finale. And I believe that's the era we're in. We're getting ready for the grand finale. And uh, I believe that Jesus is going to shine in in the grand finale. What should we believe? You know, um, some prophets talk to us about hard times up ahead. And uh, others, like I just shared this morning, talk about evangelism and and about uh, revival and about God doing great things. Which one is right? The the answer is both. How many uh, ever remember the name Harold Bradison? You've got to be my age to know who Harold Bradison was, but he was very instrumental in encouraging Pat Robertson to start the 700 Club. Great man of God. And uh, he came to visit us when I was the assistant director of the Mercy Ship, the Anastasis. He came to visit us and he spoke to our staff 
And after he uh, shared a message, he's a very unusual man. Uh, he's with the Lord now. Uh, he had a little question and answer time. And one of the staff asked, oh, brother, I, I've read David Wilkerson's book on the prophecy of the end time, and, and, uh, and then I hear others talk about revival and great move of God, and which is right? And uh, Harold Braveson, after he heard the question, he, he did this. And I was sitting there wondering, what in the world? And then he came forward again, and he said, both. Both are right. He said, there will be hard times, but they will usher in the greatest move of God that has ever been known on planet Earth. When people are in crisis, they are more open to the gospel. That's our whole story about what happened after 9-11. We, um, I had executives in Wall Street literally put their head on my chest and weep. These are big-time executives uh, because they were so moved by what had happened and vulnerable and ready to hear. It's our time to shine, church. It's our time to shine. You know, back in the uh, early 80s, uh, my family and I were invited to be in Washington, D.C., and it happened to be July 4th. <clears throat> and so we uh, had some YWAM people that uh, had a home there, and they uh, had a, a picnic, and we had our hot dogs and, and uh, everything. And, um, and the neighbors literally had money to burn because they were shooting their rockets off. Now, you have to understand, this was a perfect day. It wasn't a cloud in the sky. The sun was shining. And these people next door are shooting their rocket. You know what? Shooting a rocket off in, in the middle of, of that kind of a day looks like. You see this little trail of smoke, and then you hear the, you know, the, the explosion, and a little bit more smoke, and that, that's it. Very unimpressive. It was like, why are you wasting your money shooting your rockets off now? This is stupid. That night, we were invited over to the home of the gentleman who was the director for YWAM in Washington, D.C., and he took us into his backyard, and we watched in awe as we saw rockets exploding in the air with all of the colors and the beauty of, of everything that was happening. And... Uh, the darker the sky, the better our light shines. The better our light shines. So the darker it is, the more visible we are. The second thing that we need to um, be aware of is, uh, uh, is that it's time for us to know God and his ways. It's time we knew the character of God. We need to know God's character. He will give us comfort and peace and rest in, in turbulent times. It's time for no us to know God's power. And, and we, so we do not suffer from unbelief because God is greater than anything else that's happening out there. It's time for us to know God's lordship in our lives so that we are living in obedience. 
so we are loyal to him, so that we're living consistently for the Lord. And it's time for us that we know the voice of God because we're going to need to know the voice of God because God wants to give us direction during these uh, difficult days. And we need to know when he is speaking and, and know the difference between his voice and other voices. The third thing that it's time for is it's time for vision. What is, have you ever wondered what God's vision is? I could tell you what my vision is, and Pat Robertson can tell you what his vision is, and Franklin Graham could give you his vision. But what is God's vision? Well, it's found in two places in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.9 and Habakkuk 2.14. Same verse in both places. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want you to think about that verse for a moment. When Roseanne and I were going to our leadership training school in 1983, we were flying from Oahu to Kona. And when we landed in Kona, it was like, it's like landing on the moon. Have any, have any have you ever been to Kona, Hawaii? It's on the big island. It, when, you, when you go to land, you see nothing but uh, uh, the, the uh, lava rock. Yeah, thank you. Lava rock. And you feel like you're landing on the moon. Well, we got out of the plane, and uh, there was a gentleman there from the campus to come and pick us up. And he happened to be a retired Air Force colonel. So we're having some small talk on the way to YWAM. And uh, he said, uh, Nick, do you remember how high you were flying when you flew from Oahu to Kona? Uh, I said, yeah, well, I, I don't know how high it was, but I, I know that we were pretty high up. I, I was looking out the window and looking down at the water. He goes, well, you were about 10,000 feet. He said, do you know that it's the same distance from the surface of the water to the bottom? In that, play, in that part of the world? I said, man, I'm, you know, I like fishing. That's a lot of fishing line. <laughs> if you're bottom fishing. You know? <laughs> 10,000 feet. And there are places in the earth, two-thirds of the world, by the way, is covered by water. And there are places where they haven't even fathomed the bottom yet. Now let's go back to that verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's God's vision. And that's the vision he wants to give us in our heart and for the whole world. And uh, he doesn't want us to put any limitations on. One day I came home. I was on a trip. And Roseanne told me, she said, you know, uh, Nick, I... I had the TV on the other day while I was ironing, and I, uh, Robert Schuller was on. And uh, some of you might remember Dr. Robert Schuller. <clears throat> and uh, he told a story. He said that I thought you'd be interested in hearing. He said it's a story about how he was on a plane one day, and he sat next to one of the world's most renowned mathematicians. And he was just talking with this man, and this man was relating things about his life. And he said, you know, when I was a freshman in, in college, he said, um, 
I was going to my math class, he said, and uh, uh, I, I was late. And he said, when, when I got into the class, he said, I looked up at the board and I, I saw in the upper left-hand corner that the professor had written three problems. And that was normally what he would do to give us our assignment. So he said, I took down those problems and I assumed that they were the assignment of the week. He said, so uh, it came Friday and he said, I worked hard on those three problems. He said, they were so hard. He said, I worked day and night on them. And he said, finally, uh, I could only solve two of the three. And I handed my paper in. He said, Saturday morning in my dorm, I get a, a knock on the door early. And he says, I'm wondering, what? Who, who is this? I open the door and it's the professor. He says, I, I, I was stunned. He said, I invited him in. He goes, uh, the professor said to him, now, now, you were late when you came into class on Monday, weren't you? Uh, yes, sir. He said, so when I wrote those three problems on the board, you assumed that they were the, the assignment of the week, didn't you? He said, yes, sir. He goes, well, what you don't know is I had just written three problems on the board. I was trying to encourage the students in the class. And I said, you know, we can't solve every math problem. In fact, there were three problems Einstein was never able to solve, and you solved two of them. Now, do you think if he had heard the professor say that, that he would have even tried? No, he would have had limitations. Let's get rid of the limitations. And let's embrace the vision of God for the world. All right. I need to rush along here. It, it's time for unity in the body of Christ. And uh, there's a lot I could say about that. But you remember the prayer Jesus prayed in, in John 17. And uh, God is wanting us to come into the unity of the Spirit. Doesn't mean we'll have the unity of the faith. Only when we get to heaven will we have the unity of the faith. We all have our own perspective on different scriptures and doctrines and so on. Some of us, when we stand before God, we're going to have red faces. Because yeah. he'll say, I, I never said that. But that doesn't mean we can't have unity with every believer. And you know, in Psalm 133, it talks about the commanded blessing. And that, that's the blessing of unity. And if we work together with the other parts of the body of Christ, irrespective of, you know, we have to uh, make sure that when it comes to those things that are most important, we are, we are together. But when it comes to other things, uh, we, can, we can give each other a little, a little slack and, and, and work together for the end of letting the world know that Jesus came for them. It's also a time for purity. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, uh, 
I like what one of my colleagues used to say. We say to the Lord, power, power, God. And God looks down at us and he says, purity, purity. Power, God, purity. Without the purity, we'll not have the power. We need to work with God on the depth and God will give us the breath. That's the way it works. We need to be men and women of integrity. That word integrity means you are one person. You're not, uh, the, uh, what's popular today is what they call pluralism. And uh, they actually say that that's a character quality. Baloney. You need to be one person. And I need to be one person. And that's who we need to be known for. The sixth point I have is it's time to be free from everything that hinders. Because in that same verse, it tells us that we need to throw off everything that hinders. Now, there are things that are sin in their essence, but there are other things that are sin for us because it's not part of what God has for us in our lives. And so... Uh, I once picked up a track that said, others can, but you cannot. Others can, but you cannot. Uh, some of those encumbrances could be material things. Financial entanglements, customs and traditions, relationships, careers. We need to be ready to divorce ourselves of all these things that hinder and then it's time for perseverance. And in that same, in those same scriptures, it talks about how we need to run this race with perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, let me tell you something. We're soldiers, not sissies. If you read, and I don't have time to read it, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, write it down. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. You'll read about Paul's life and what, what he went through. That's why he was able to say to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, what would you think of a soldier who came back to his sergeant, just lost my button, and um, did something like this? <laughs> They're shooting at me. <laughs> If I was a sergeant, the first thing I'd say is, Medic! <laughs> You're a soldier. You're on the front line. Of course they're shooting at you. And First uh, Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening. Something strange. I don't understand. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may 
be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, Jesus said we're to pray for our enemies. And if you can't think of some people to pray for, there's something wrong in your life. If you say, I I don't think I have any enemies, uh uh-oh. Beware when all men speak well of you, Jesus said. It's also a time, following on from that, for militancy. Oh, they hate that today in our woke world. We're in a battle, my friends. And uh, I was never the football player that Pastor was. Uh, I went out for football in my junior year. And I was doing good in the practices that we had in late August before school started. And my, my, um, my coach, who called me a waste, uh, said to me, uh, Nick, uh, you keep going the way you are, you're going to make varsity. Wow, I, man, I was, I was really excited about that. And I uh, came home from practice one day. My, you need to know I had a very overprotective mom. She never let me join the Boy Scouts because she was afraid I was going to get hurt. And, you know, that's the kind of mom I had. And so it took heaven and earth to convince her to let me go out for football. But she still, even though she gave me permission, she was still... "Mm." So I came home from from work one day, uh, from uh, school one day after practice, and my mom had this real sad look on her face. And I said, "Uh, Mom, what's wrong? It's Dad. He needs cataract surgery. Now, back in the early 60s, we're talking, uh, cataract surgery was a big thing. You went into the hospital for several days for cataract surgery. It wasn't an outpatient procedure like it is today. And uh, we didn't have medical insurance. And uh, so uh, she says, "Uh, I need you to quit football and get a job and help us out. No question, I said. My coach was really unhappy with me. I, I turned in my equipment. I went and became a dishwasher. And uh, I got my first check. I signed it and I gave it to my mom. And I said, here, put this toward dad's surgery. She looked at me. She said, keep it. That was her way of getting me out of football. <laughs> I want you to know that I forgave her. I forgave her. But uh, I did learn one thing from my coach. The best defense is a good offense. And the church of Jesus Christ is always at their best when we're on offense, not defense. You know, there's a scripture in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, that says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning? fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. And uh, the president of my Bible college turned to us and said, how long has it been since you were a holy terror? We need to be that. The church today, unfortunately, has become a building instead of a body. 
a business instead of the bride, an organization instead of an organism, a ritual instead of a reality, an audience instead of an army. I thank God I come to a church where we don't put on a show. Hey, I'm from New York. If I want to go see a show, I'll go to Broadway. They do it better there anyway. I come here to get equipped. How about you? A nursery instead of an armory. A cruise ship instead of a battleship. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when I was a kid, uh, growing up in the church, I had a warped picture of that verse. I thought we were inside of the fortress, and the enemy had his battering ram trying to get in, and uh, we were like, here, Jesus, help us. But the scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. No, that's not what Jesus said. There are fortresses of evil in the world. We as the church take our battering ram of the Holy Spirit and we break down those gates because the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That's what the scripture is all about. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He didn't mean space. He meant take over. Militancy, you know, I, I worked in Asbury Park in a um, very needy community. And uh, back then, the, the, the Black Panthers and the Black Muslims were very active on the street. And I was the only white face. You can read a very exciting story about what happened when I worked with this coffee house and this, uh, this wonderful African-American pastor and his wife uh, in my book, our book. By the way, if you like the book, it's because she wrote it. <laughs> I would write things and she'd look at it and say, I love it, and then she'd change everything. <laughs> For the better, for the better. But I said all that to say this. While I was on the street, I picked up one of the papers that the Black Panthers had printed. And I found out they had taken some scripture and applied it to their organization. They said, if you want to be part of us, you need to be disciplined. That's scripture. You need to be uncompromising. That's scripture. You need to be discontent with mediocrity. Oh, I love that. I hate mediocrity. Jesus hates mediocrity because he said, I want wood that you be cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. God doesn't need mediocre Christians. So this is the last great offensive on planet Earth. And many of us are going to be part of it. Matthew eleven twelve from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers what? Violence. 
and the violent take it by force. Now, I'm not talking about picking up your gun. I'm talking about using the weapon Jesus gave us that there's no defense against. Love. Love. That's the kind of militancy I'm talking about. You know that our decisions as the body of Christ regarding militancy are more important than those of the communist, the secularist, the Muslim extremist, or any other group. And by the way, timidity is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, I've done a lot of training with uh, prayer stations, and I've been to churches, and I've trained them, and I've been in their service, and they're sitting there, what I call their, singing their Holy Ghost fight songs, you know. And they, they act like they're really, really uh, strong and powerful. I take some of those same people out on the street, and they're like, well, what happened to the fight song? You know, they, it's like they, they regard timidity as one. In fact, the scripture says in Proverbs 28, one, the righteous are as bold as a lion. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us the spirit of timidity. Can it be any plainer than that? We need Christian radicals today. Hey, I, I tell you something. If this country ever decides to persecute Christians and throw them in jail for the sharing their faith, I want there to be heaps of evidence to convict me. Yeah. Heaps of evidence. My wife tells me, don't say that anymore. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm going to say it. I hope there are, there's so much evidence that there won't be any question in the mind right. of the jury. Guilty as charged. Right. I'm almost done. Don't walk out on me, please. I was going to bring my dog and put him by the door to growl at anybody that walked out early. But he ate his breakfast and went and had a sleep. Uh, he'd probably licked you to death anyway. My next to the last point, it is a time for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, 15, and Matthew 29, we received the commission, and on Acts 1, 8, he gave us the power to accomplish the task. It is our power, and it is our protection. Power for employment, and not just enjoyment. Now, some of us want the Holy Spirit, so we get a liver shiver. So we get uh, goosebumps on our goosebumps. We get uh, chills going up and down our spine. That's not why the Holy Spirit was given to you. It was to employ us into the marketplace with the message of the gospel. And finally, it's time for optimism. Let's not be pessimistic. Last chapter in the last book says we win. It's already recorded. And I love what Pastor shared with us about next year uh, being the year of overflow. 
and I end with this. When I was here for the Friday prayer meeting, and I was sitting right there praying with everyone, and I just said to the Lord, God, before this year is over, this new year, I want to see every chair in this place full to overflow. I'd like pastor to have a problem. Either two services or a new sanctuary. Are you ready to accept that problem, pastor? All right. And I believe we need to prepare in this next year and have that big vision to see God do great things. People are moving into this community. This is, I, I tell my friends up north, this is the new Long Island. Because everybody I talk to, I can tell when they open their mouth, they're from Long Island. And uh, I just had new neighbors move in this weekend across, across the road from us. But uh, we need to be prepared for the year of overflow. And uh, what happens with overflow? Your cup spills over so that others are blessed by the overflow of blessing in your life. And I end with David Wilkerson, a quote from David Wilkerson, one of my heroes. This is what he said to the body of Christ before he died. I see a plague coming on the world and the bars, church and government shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it's never been shaken. Plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer, into their Bibles, and repentance will be the cry from true men of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. Hey, my friends. He was right on the first part. I tend to believe he's right on the last part too. God is preparing us for an overflow. He's preparing us. Let us understand the time that we're in. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you for your uh, kindness. I've gone way over my time. I'm sorry, Pastor. Allow me to pray. Father... I pray for, for all of us. I am part of this great congregation. And I pray as we come into this new year and as pastor leads us, that Lord, you will help us to overflow. Lord, that this city will be rocked with the presence of God. And that Lord, we will see by this time next year, this place full and running over. We will see people coming to know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I ask that you will equip us. I ask that you will empower us. I pray that you will engage us in the great work that is part of your big vision that says the, that this world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We believe it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Were you blessed this morning? If you were, let the man of God know.
I'm excited for what God has in store. Purity and overflow. Are you ready for what God's about to do? Listen, we've been in a season. I know we've been through. Some of you have been through the hardest times of your life in the last couple of years. But can I tell you? It's time to move on. It's time to move forward and let God do the work. If you believe he'll do it, say a good amen. amen. The Lord bless you. Go out. Love people today. If you're going to go out to eat, make sure you are a witness for Jesus. Even if the service is bad, let your service be outstanding. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.